Good morning, family. Welcome to worship. Good morning to all of you online as well. We are so glad to be together as the family of God. And that's really our theme as we move closer and closer to the celebration of Pentecost in a couple of weeks. Um, we are watching in our scripture readings the uh, life of the church emerging after Pentecost, after the Holy Spirit brings life to the believers and brings life to this body of Christ we call the church with a capital C. Our reading today comes from the Acts of the Apostles. We're going to read Acts 11 verses 1 to 18. If you want to follow along, we'll turn to that in a moment. Acts 11 is found on page 1093, 1093 on, uh, in that Bible on your table there. Acts 11, 1 to 18. That's what we're going to read. And as we find that, let me just tell you that our topic today is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And, and in particular, as we talk about the Holy Spirit, recognizing that this is the essential element of the church universal the body of Christ. It is, it is the thing that distinguishes religion and religious activity from full-blown Christian life. And so it's ent entirely appropriate to talk about the Holy Spirit often and to encourage people to receive baptism in the Holy Spirit. And we'll talk about what that means in a minute. But as we read the passage today, listen carefully to what the Apostle Peter is saying about the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the church, and not only in the church, but in the, the people of the region and the expansion of the body of Christ to people who are not only Jewish by tradition, but people who are receiving the word of Christ and having transformative experiences. Acts 11, starting at verse 1, says, Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying and in a trance when I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descended being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air, and I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were, sent, by, uh, sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. The six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen an angel stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. 
And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when he believed in the Lord Jesus, when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? And when they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God saying, then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Wow. You know what the first thing that stands out to me in that story is? Pardon my cynicism, but, but imagine a religious body church council actually hearing that they were wrong and then agreeing with it and saying, so sorry. <laughs> That's more important to me because I've been a professional religious person for a long time. When the people who are filled with the Spirit out in the field doing the work of the body of Christ come back and report to the religious authorities who are in their institution minding the store and then the people in the institution say, oh, you shouldn't have done that, right? You know, isn't it funny how this passage has translated through thousands of years to an English phrase like the circumcision party? Boy, there's one I want to join. <laughs> I mean, let's be Republicans. Let's be Democrats. Let's be, you know, Methodists. Let's be Pentecostals. Let's be circumcision party. Whew. Yikes. Now, they heard Peter's story, thought it over, repented of their judgment, and they accepted what they heard. It was more important to them, those religious leaders, to be obedient to the Holy Spirit than to be right. Could we just dwell on that for a second, please? As we, the body of Christ here at Shiloh, consider our future as a light in this community, can we think for a minute about what's more important? Obedience to the Spirit or being right. Now, with regard to the other things described in this, because I did tell you that we're going to talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, there are things that you see pretty obviously in the stories of the Acts of the Apostles regarding baptism, and then there are things that are implied that we should also address. So I want to call your attention to the two obvious things first. The first thing you notice is that people who are baptized into the body of Christ do so publicly with a profession of faith. They are overcome with the need to admit that they were sinners who were opposed to God. And they recognized that the only hope they had of escaping God's just wrath was through Jesus Christ as their Savior. And so they repented of the sin. They accepted the gift of God's grace through Jesus Christ. And then the second thing happened was the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes you hear that referred to as being born again. Now what's implicit in this that you should also notice is that it doesn't appear that at the moment when they 
awakened to their guilt and repented of their sin and then received God's grace that they stopped and found a swimming pool somewhere so that they could immerse themselves in water to have a proper baptism. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that. It says they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, lest it sounds like I'm doing something I despise, I wanted to spew that out with venom. I despise when church pastors and church people spend precious time complaining and griping and criticizing other Christian believers. So rest assured, that is not what I'm talking about right now. I am not talking about the form of baptism, whether water's involved or how much water's involved or anything. That is not what I'm talking about. I don't care how other people perform baptisms or not. For the record, I think water baptism is a really good thing, and I recommend it, especially to adults and young people who have the presence of mind to really embrace the experience. And here's why. Because nothing says I've put my entire faith, my eternal life in the hands of God, like allowing someone to shove you underwater and hold you there for several seconds. Joke. And then bringing you back up and making something profound of the experience. And so I recommend it. And I've never made a trip to the Holy Land where I didn't offer people the opportunity to even experience a baptism like Jesus' baptism in the Jordan River. So hear me clearly, that is, let me speak plainly. I have nothing but praise for the act of water baptism, but it is not essential. It isn't essential to apply water. I am convinced that whatever form of baptism you receive is effective as long as it's a baptism of the Holy Spirit, which means even dry cleaning works, in my opinion. Thank you for grinning, Kyle. I needed someone to get the joke. So the point that I wish to make going in is it's a real pity that Christians will argue with each other and talk amongst themselves about how those Methodists don't do baptism right. Or those uh, Pentecostals, they jump up and down and dance in the aisles and do weird things. And I'm not convinced that that's really the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And on and on and on. As though we Christians have nothing better to do than to sit around and criticize each other about style and technique and church traditions and cultures and family traditions. I wanted to clear the air about that because I want to talk about the essential thing. I even heard Jessica reference this in, in her time of worship with you in that we should not major in minors. That we should not be so bogged down in the silly little things because that, all that does is it makes God's enemy cackle with joy because we're distracted. 
Because we're distracted and diverted from what really, really needs to be going on in the body of Christ. And that is a faithful obedience to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. See, we have to understand that this is God's plan unfolding perfectly as God designed. First, he is establishing a people unique entirely in all of creation. And then because of sin, they're separated from God. And then because of God's reckless, ridiculous love, he continues to invest in them and grow with them and mold them and shape them until they finally produce the ultimate solution to the problem of death and sin. And it's Jesus, the son, who then redeems us by grace alone. And then that same grace brings us right back to where we started, which was in this unique relationship with God as a people made specifically by God for a holy existence. And there's the thing about baptism, you see. The baptism of Jesus in the Jordan River, the one that John the Baptist initiated, it was all about holiness. And it was stemmed from the tradition of Judaism where people never entered holy places without doing something called a mikvah or a ceremonial bath. And so they had these sort of U-shaped bathtubs with the center divider and they would go up to the holy places like the temple in Jerusalem and they would take off their dirty outer garments and they would wade into this pool and as they rounded the bend through the, from one side to the other around that divider, they would wash themselves ceremonially and then someone would greet them on the other steps with a fresh white gown so that they could enter the holy place spiritually cleansed and so John's baptism was a statement of a higher calling not just a vic, not just a mikvah for a religious activity but a mikvah for your whole life repent of your sin and be washed and ready for holiness rather than just holy places and holy activity and this is why Jesus said and it should be so Then what happens to Jesus, of course, is that he emerges to receive the Holy Spirit. The very spirit of God's heart and mind descends upon Jesus to the sound of the thundering voice of God saying, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. And so that bath is meant to prepare you for personal holiness. And in that sense, it's a good thing to do because it's such a visual and visceral reminder. Why I recommend it then is for that purpose, to aid you in your conscious expression of your journey with Christ. But what we talk about in the New Testament, in particular in the Acts of the Apostles, is a baptism of the Holy Spirit. And it doesn't necessarily involve water, and it really doesn't sound like water was part of the deal very often. But enough talk about water. Pardon my play with words, but people drown a foolish talk of water instead of emerging to eternal life because of the Holy Spirit, and it's a shame. What we hear described then in the Acts of the Apostles is a Holy Spirit that is available to anyone who would repent of their sin, 
who would listen to that prevenient grace that Jessica mentioned, that reckless pursuing God that just won't let up. He's going to catch you eventually if you just stop. And when you listen, the first thing he does is envelop you with grace to forgive and then invite you to be born again, to put on the fresh garment. Like the prodigal, you go from your slave's clothes to a fresh robe and a celebration, like a mikvah, like a cleansing bath that takes you from filth to holiness. Now, the body of Christ is nothing without the Holy Spirit. There is no body of Christ apart from the Holy Spirit. We become one with Christ through God's grace given by the sacrificial death and resurrection that leads to eternal life. We, we get that grace, but we are not alive in that grace until we are born again in the Holy Spirit. And it is the Spirit-filled believers who comprise the body of Christ. Isn't it amazing how many people go to church who reflect on their life and depend entirely upon the name of Christian to satisfy their goodness of heart and mind, their sense of goodness in the eyes of humanity, their sense of, of purpose and meaning, and then their sense of assurance or insurance against hell. And it is unfortunate because it is, well, it's, it's a lukewarm sort of Christianity. Have you ever gotten in the shower on a cold winter morning and the water just never quite warmed up to the level that you would have enjoyed? Most because maybe the water heater was malfunctioning or something like that. Has that ever happened to you? It seems like it's happened to me too many times. And you come away from that shower cold, clean but cold, <laughs> and not feeling all that refreshed. And, and this is what happens when we live with the Holy Spirit only dimly burning within us. But what God desires, what the Lord desires for you is a hot burning fire that drives you to a lively form of Christian living, a lively form of joy and hope and love and grace. The body of Christ is a slow, lethargic, lumbering thing when the Holy Spirit isn't working at full capacity. And therefore, I want to urge you as we move forward in the next months and years in the life of this church to welcome the Holy Spirit's leadership in our church. Welcome the spiritual revival that God desires for this people in this community through this particular house of worship and family of faith. It is part of our Wesleyan tradition to embrace the Holy Spirit, not just for assurance, but for wonderful expressions of community, 
See, the other thing you'll notice about the baptisms you read about in the Acts of the Apostles is that they always act, they always happen in public and they always led to uh, a changed life, but it was always done in community. It was never an isolated thing. There is no such thing in the Bible of a sort of isolated individual faith. You, you, you could come to faith in the Lord by yourself in a cell or in the woods or somewhere, but your fullness of faith and spirit-led living won't happen without the body of Christ as a community or communion of believers. And so the other thing that you realize is that in the Bible there are no lone wolf Christians. We're meant to be a pack. We're meant to be an organism that is fused together in a way like cells inside an organism's blood and being. And it is meant that we would be at times intimately connected with each other, especially in small groups. Look at how they flowed in the Acts of the Apostles. They were a large body and they were divided into smaller groups where, where close friends, close sisters and brothers in Christ went out on missions together to not only seek and save the lost, but to grow and to expand the body of Christ as they, in a sense, were contagious, infectious, spirit-filled expressions of God's love and grace just waiting to be discovered. You know, these people like Cornelius, for example, that Peter alluded to here, they, they just knew that they needed to meet a Christian. They weren't sure where to find one, but they knew they needed to meet one, so they, they started looking. And that's how it is with the Spirit of Christ. The Holy Spirit makes things happen, and we just find ourselves moving through the ebb and flow of God's Spirit and recognizing when we arrive sometimes that it wasn't our decision, it wasn't our plan, but it felt like exactly where we should be and what we should do. This is the church I dream of here at Shiloh. I dream of a church where people are baptized in the Spirit on a regular basis, where we have public professions of faith often in our worship and our gatherings in the life of this church. That this is a place that is known for a steady state of revival and a, and, and a steady fire and wind that blows through this place. But I want to say something to you that might make you laugh, but I seriously mean it when I say, but don't be intimidated by this dream of mine. We are, after all, the frozen chosen. We are those who have a little bit of a sort of, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? We, we, we like our sedate way of doing things. We, we sing with praise and enthusiasm under Jessica's leadership, but I don't see a lot of hands flying in the air and all that sort of thing. And you're probably thinking, are you about to judge me? No, I'm just saying. Some of us don't do that. Does that mean the Holy Spirit's not at work? Of course not. Does it mean that wherever we invite the Holy Spirit, we all have to look like 
people we think of who do things that we aren't comfortable doing, speaking in tongues and jumping over pews and dancing in the aisles like something out of a Blues Brothers movie. Where's George when I need him? I can't use an ancient reference like that without George. But the point is that we Christians, especially those of us who have grown up in church and been around it all our lives, we get a little bit intimidated by ideas that make us conjure up pictures of stuff that makes us uncomfortable. As if somehow there's one size that fits all and the Holy Spirit led and filled the church body here would somehow look like something that most of us would be very uncomfortable with. And the answer to that concern is, don't fret it. Don't worry about it. The Lord meets you where you are, just like he did the woman at the well, just like Philip who met the Ethiopian on the road, who, by the way, was baptized, and I have no idea whether there was water in that one either. It is simply a matter of embracing the Holy Spirit and trusting the Holy Spirit. Which brings me to the final point. Baptism of the Holy Spirit intimidates us because it involves unknowns and we're afraid of the unknowns. Well, it probably doesn't need to be repeated, but the last couple of years should have effectively taught us all that life presents us with unknowns every day, every month, every year, and some of them create a constant sense of chaos and a complete sense that things just aren't predictable or reliable in our lives and maybe they never will be. And so whether we like it or not, when we open our eyes in the morning and get out of bed, it's an act of faith. <laughs> There's just faith involved with going through your whole day and hoping nothing really weird happens, right? So why would we not welcome the potential for the unpredictable, unknowable work of the Holy Spirit in our lives? When the enemy, when fate, when the world of the flesh routinely throws things at us that we could not have planned for or predicted that hurt us and the people we love, why would we be intimidated by the invitation to the Holy Spirit to act in our lives who would do nothing except love us graft us more tightly to the nature of our Heavenly Father and then make us more than the sum of our parts. <coughs> Why are we so afraid of the Holy Spirit? I'll ask you to just pray about that in the next days and weeks of your life. Just pray about it. Lord, Lord why am I afraid of your spirit? Why am I afraid to let your spirit change my nature and to change my whole look at the world around me? And more importantly, why am I afraid to let your spirit unite me with other spirit-filled people and join me with activities and, and life-giving bread and wine for the people of our community? Why? That's the question. The baptism of the Holy Spirit 
is when all of that begins and everything about your life changes for all eternity. And so why reject him? Why resist him? Only you know the answer. But I encourage you to pray about it just the same because, well, if my dream is going to come true, and I hope it's the spirit-led dream, this is going to be a spirit-filled body of Christ in our community with a light that cannot be suppressed by a bucket or a bushel or the darkness of the world around us. Let us pray. Mighty God, thank you for your word now. Pour out your spirit upon us and let us be your servants, faithful and unafraid, or if afraid, courageous and trusting, so that you are glorified and we serve your holy purposes. Amen.